Welcome to AM Now, where we bring you the trending accounting matters we're following. I'm your host, Adam Olson, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Nicole Harger and Matt Fisser. Each bite-sized episode keeps you and your finance and accounting teams in the know. Join us each week as we unpack these issues, topics, and accounting matters now. You're listening to AM Now, an accounting matters podcast. I'm Adam Olson. And I'm Nicole Harger. This week, we have updates from a variety of regulators and standard setters. We will provide a brief overview of the SEC's most recent rule amendments governing beneficial ownership reporting, as well as the tentative board decisions coming from the FASB's October 11th meeting. We will then pivot to the sustainability front, where we will highlight findings from the TCFD's 2023 status report. Adam, start us off by telling us about the SEC's latest rule amendment. Gladly. So last week, the SEC adopted rule amendments to modernize the rules governing beneficial ownership reporting. Specifically, amendments were made to Rules 13D and 13G. For an overview on beneficial ownership reporting, these rules require an investor who owns more than 5% of a specific class of equity securities to publicly file either a Schedule 13D or a Schedule 13G, depending on their control intent. SEC's recent amendments shorten the deadline for initial Schedule 13D filings from 10 days to 5 business days and require that Schedule 13D amendments be filed within two business days. The filing deadlines for Schedule 13G beneficial ownership reports have also been accelerated as part of the amendments. The rule amendments also clarify that a person is required to disclose interests in all derivative securities, including cash-settled derivative securities that use the issuer's equity as a reference on Schedule 13D. Additionally, these amendments will require that these filings use a structured, machine-readable data language to make it easier for investors and markets to access, compile, and analyze information disclosed on these schedules. These amendments will become effective 90 days after publication in the Federal Register. Compliance with the revised Schedule 13G filing deadlines will be required beginning on September 30th, 2024. Compliance with the structured data requirement for Schedules 13D and 13G will be required on December 18th, 2024. Compliance with the other rule amendments will be required upon their effectiveness. Moving on to some fall activities at the FASB, the board held its most recent meeting on October 11th, discussing two projects on its current agenda. Everyone's favorite accounting topic, hedge accounting, (laughs) and improvements to the guidance, and their other project focused on the accounting for environmental credits, which given the status of ESG and sustainability matters around the world, has become even more relevant. As a result of these discussions, several tentative decisions were made on each project. Yep, so starting with um, hedge accounting improvements, the FASB addressed several issues, starting with the issue of dual hedging relationships. The board decided to confirm proposed amendments aimed at eliminating recognition and presentation discrepancies in cases where a foreign currency denominated debt instrument is designated both as a hedging instrument in a net investment hedge and a hedged item in a fair value hedge. These mismatches resulted from previous amendments and the proposed changes would resolve this by excluding the fair value hedge basis adjustment from the net investment hedge effectiveness assessment. This means that entities would immediately recognize gains and losses from the remeasurement of the debt instrument's fair value hedge basis adjustment at the spot exchange rate and earnings. The board also decided reporting entities would not be able to apply this guidance to other hedging transactions by analogy. 
Two other hedging matters addressed during the meeting included use of the term prepayable in the shortcut method and the concept of net written options as hedging instruments. For the term prepayable, the board decided not to affirm the proposed amendments to replace the term prepayable with early settlement feature for purposes of applying the shortcut method guidance. For net written options, the board decided to amend the guidance for applying the written option test when the designated hedging instrument in a cash flow hedge is a compound derivative made up of a written option and a non-option derivative. The amendment would permit entities to assume that certain terms of the hedge forecasted transaction match those of the hedging instrument for purposes of applying that test. Up next for this project is further board discussions and deliberations on the remaining hedge accounting improvement issues identified in the overall project scope. At the same meeting, the board also made many key decisions around its environmental credit project. For some background on this project, the accounting for environmental credits has been a multifaceted issue that has been a concern for standard setters for many years. While emissions trading arrangements are not a novel concept, they have taken on a prominent role in the strategies of companies striving for net zero emissions and other environmental commitments. Initially, these credits were designed to assist companies with complying with emission regulations, but have now evolved to become drivers of growth and innovation, motivating businesses to adopt renewable technologies. As a result of these expanding, largely self-imposed strategic commitments, the associated accounting challenges have risen as an area of priority. Despite numerous attempts at standard setting projects, there are presently no specific accounting requirements within U.S. GAAP pertaining to carbon offsets, allowances, or credits. This has left many companies navigating a diverse landscape and interpreting and applying existing accounting principles to these arrangements. Fast forward to this meeting, where several decisions over the scope and measurement and recognition of credits were tentatively decided. The FASB further refined the applicability of the project scope to include environmental credits that meet certain criteria. That criteria includes all of the following. Credits that are enforceable and transferable, and these could include credits that take many forms, such as being credits themselves or certificates, allowances, or offsets. Credits that are acquired, including those from related parties, credits that are granted by a regulatory agency, or those credits that are internally generated or created. It also includes credits that lack physical substance and do not meet the definition of a financial asset under U.S. GAAP, and credits that are represented to prevent, control, reduce, or remove emissions or other pollution. The board also made clear and confirmed that income tax credits, however, are outside the scope of the project because they are in the scope of other U.S. GAAP. From a liability perspective, the board clarified that environmental credit obligations are in scope. These types of obligations generally arise from existing or enacted laws, statutes, or ordinances, and may be settled with environmental credits themselves. On the measurement and recognition side, the board determined credits would be recognized as assets if it is likely they will be used, sold, or traded. Any costs for obtaining credits would be expensed when incurred, except where they could be capitalized under other U.S. GAAP rules. From a measurement perspective, credits meeting the recognition criteria would initially be measured at historical cost. Costs for granted or created credits would be limited to their transaction costs, such as application fees, and in some cases could be measured at zero if no transaction costs were incurred. For a subsequent measure, the board decided the accounting would depend on how the entity intended to use the credit. 
So for example, compliance credits used to settle an obligation would not be subsequently remeasured. For other credits that are to be sold or traded, so for example, non-compliance environmental credits, the board decided subsequently these credits should be assessed for impairment. The board also made decisions that a reassessment of credits should be performed at each reporting period to ensure the appropriate recognition criteria between compliance and non-compliance credits are used. If credits are reclassified from compliance environmental credits to non-compliance environmental credits, they would need to be assessed for impairment before applying subsequent remeasurement guidance. Entities would also be prevented from reversing any previously recognized impairment charge. As for next steps on this project, the FASI plans to perform further outreach on recognition and measurement and continue discussions on accounting for environmental credit obligations. And bringing us to a close this week, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or the TCFD, published its 2023 status report highlighting the use of the framework in company sustainability reporting. From this report, it is clear that companies are now providing more public disclosure regarding climate-related risks and opportunities than ever before. The report reveals a significant increase in the number of companies aligning with TCFD recommendations. For example, in 2022, 90% of companies followed at least one of the TCFD's 11 recommendations. This is compared to 80% in 2021 and 64% in 2020. While each of the 11 recommendations have seen increases in reporting over each of the past two years, the category that saw the most significant growth in reporting was climate-related risks and opportunities, followed by reporting on board oversight and climate-related targets. The report noted that the category with the lowest level of reporting across the three years was related to companies' strategies under different climate-related scenarios. In 2022, only 11% of companies provided disclosures on this recommendation. And specifically, the report highlighted that 90% of companies considered this particular recommended disclosure to be somewhat or very challenging to implement. The TCFD also examined disclosures across different sectors, regions, and company sizes. Their findings noted that energy and materials and buildings industries had the highest average of disclosures per company, while technology and media companies had the lowest. European companies showed us the highest number of disclosures, and large-cap companies had higher reporting rates than smaller ones. Overall, the report acknowledged progress made but emphasized the need for further transparency and consideration of climate-related issues in financial statements. And that rounds us out for this week. For a deeper dive into what's trending in accounting and finance, check out our other podcasts on the Accounting Matters feed on your preferred listening platform. Again, I'm Adam Olson. And I'm Nicole Harger. Thanks for listening to AM Now. We'll see you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series, and it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant, subsequent, authoritative guidance issued.